The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to NXT The Rise and Fall, a look back podcast on probably, potentially the best era of NXT, the black and gold, the full sale era, I guess. Uh, my name is Sai, but you probably already know that if you found this show, especially via the network. Uh, and that's kind of irrelevant anyway, because who everybody wants to hear from is the king himself, Joshua Goodwin. How are you doing this week, sir? Hello, everyone. Hello, Sai. I am doing... Oh, I'm doing just great, mate. Just another day for you and me in paradise. That's it. That's it. That's the way. I mean, you, you could complain about stuff, but who listens, eh? Well, yeah, that's always the way. Well, me I, mean, you. They... I mean, you complain to me, I complain to you. We both listen to each other, but outside of our little bubble. <laughs> yeah, if, if we're not complaining about NXT, no one cares. That's it, mate. That's it. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So then, this week's episode of NXT is, what would it be? Episode 5, I think it is, isn't it? Episode yeah. 5, yeah. If I normally stuck have around... that written in front of me, but for some reason I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, again, from Full Full Sale, and this is the episode that first aired on the 18th of July, 2012. Uh, we have a few new faces to talk about this week which is quite nice but we'll dive straight into the show joshua uh, we begin with byron saxton and william regal on commentary always a fan when regal's on commentary he was on a aw this past week as we record and was making me and my daughter absolutely roar with laughter some of the things he was saying he's just an absolute diamond isn't he he is he's a good boy um it's clearly something that he's still getting to grips with at this time but you know, um, there were a few moments where he had like a stream of consciousness going and then something happened in ring and he didn't pick up on it as 
a more okay. seasoned as a more seasoned commentator would be like, oh, here's the pinfall. Yeah, you know, for some of the more major bullet points. But again, I don't think it was something he was tremendously experienced with. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, he's very good. He has uh, he has a lot of interesting things to say. He has a lot of interesting points. As I mentioned on on AEW this week, there was a few lines between him and Excalibur on commentary, and Regal's Regal's uh, professing his love for Excalibur and how much he adores his mask and all this sort of stuff. It's just real sort of silly tongue in cheek stuff, but. It was making me laugh and making my daughter laugh. So that's a generational thing for me. So fair play to Regal. He's, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, I mentioned a few new faces that we're seeing on this show. Obviously, new is very much in sort of quotation marks because this is a 10-year-old t- wrestling program. But on that point with regards to what was happening 10 years ago and new faces and old faces, uh, Joshua, I believe we have something from your good self. Yes, we do. We have uh, the now patented Goodwin Report. The Goodwin Report. T-shirt coming oh. for that, mate, I swear. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, so, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, the second of Goodwin Report. Um, so, as side uh, point out, we are on the week of July 18th, and the good report is as follows. Um, we had Raw 999, um, in which the stars of last week, primetime players, had a <laughs> tag title opportunity against Kofi Kingston and R-Truth, which they lost. Mm. Um, star of this week's podcast, Heath Slater, was defeated by Rikishi. And in the main event, we had CM Punk defeating The Big Show by disqualification. Also of note for this episode, apart from being the 999th, uh, Daniel Bryan proposed to AJ Lee. Do you remember that one, Si? Oh, wow. I'll tell you what. That is... Uh, I, I don't know if I blocked that from my memory. I don't know. Or there's just... I mean, there, there's very much limited space in my head for what I can remember. So when one thing goes in, I think something goes out. So I may have lost that a while a while back. But yeah, I do remember that now you're pointing it out. Yes, I do. Well, what a weird time. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, a very strange time to be alive. Uh, moving swiftly on, we have SmackDown. Um, technical NXT alum Damian Sandow defeated Zack Ryder. Uh, we had Heath Slater getting demolished by Animal of the Road Warriors, oh, and why? in the ma- I know. And in the main event, we had Sheamus and Ray Mysterio defeating Dolph Ziggler and Alberto Del Rio, also by disqualification. Which, if I didn't point out, was how Punk beat Big Show on Raw. Yes, um, yes, he did. Yeah, I mean that's a. I think that's a sign of the times with WWE around that type. Of, you know, sort of the late noughties, I guess some people call them early twenty tens. There seems to be a lot of DQ finishes in the main event picture on on television. Obviously, they're trying to protect people and and, and so on. But when you see it on both shows in the space of a week on the main roster, you do kind of think, okay, can you not think of something else? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, you kind of gotta, you know, it's a, it's a little bit reminiscent of uh, Monday Nitros with all the uh, NWO run-ins. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on the Saturday of the week of the broadcast, we also have the ninth annual PWG show. Okay. And on that show, Future Shock, which is 
future NXT alum Adam Cole and future NXT alum Kyle O'Reilly would challenge the Super Smash Bros for the PWG Tag Team Championships. They were unsuccessful. Right. <laughs> oh man, it's so interesting knowing where these people what's going on at the time because it really does give you a sort of a, a, a context as to what we are what sort of era we're talking about but also where people who are coming in in later years are currently as we're looking at this particular date i find it i find it fascinating yeah it's interesting because for some of these people like they've probably been born but maybe they're still at school so yeah it's as you say 10 years is a heck of a long time so uh you know, I think as the uh, years roll on, it'll be like, oh, that guy. Mm. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you indeed. Uh, our commentators, as I mentioned, uh, Saxton and Regal, they tell us about our main event of the evening, which is Justin Gabriel versus Heath Slater, who you mentioned got squashed by Rikishi as well on the main roster this week. So not potentially not a successful week for him, I guess. But uh, our opening contest is actually somebody who, Again, I suppose it's my my lack of NXT viewing for many years. Someone who I very much saw as being a main roster person in Tamina, or Tamina Snooker, as she's given here, her full name. And she is facing Caitlin. Now, Tamina, she's very kind of, I suppose, a, 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 a subject of controversy. There's a lot of people who, who don't like her. A lot of people say she's, you know, she's out of the ring, she's lovely, in the ring she hurts people, and all this sort of nonsense that these supposed experts online talk about. My main point here, though, seeing Tamina on, on NXT here for the first time during our watchback is it's probably the most athletic I've seen her look build-wise. I think she looked incredible here. Now, I know she goes on and has quite a lot of knee injuries and has to change the way she does things and so on, which may contribute to her her changing body shape and style. But here, she looks incredibly athletic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how old she was here. I would assume mm. that the surname maybe gave her an in fairly yes. early on, so she was potentially fairly young. Um, and, you know, people fill out as they age a little bit. Um, so it may have just been that. Um, yeah, as you said, she did. Uh, she moved very well. So, uh, yeah, um, and Caitlin was more of a NXT project. I think she came in in the second season of uh, Game Show NXT, and uh, yeah, that the thing that I remember picking up on in this one more than anything was no real clear cut face and heel. Yeah, yeah. See, I always imagined Tamina to be the heel because of what. I've seen in later years from her. Cause that has kind of always been her, her sort of premise, hasn't it? I guess, but here she's coming out and she's doing the, the smiley face touching the fans hands. So instantly I'm thinking, okay, they're using the surname uh, and so on. And she's she, you know, potentially going to be popular from that aspect. Caitlin, I remember not being a heel and mm. here in this match, again, she acted in, in a very non heelish way. It, it was that sort of gray area again, wasn't it? But not a gray area as in, a Stone Cold Steve Austin grey area where there's no black and white, no heel or face, everyone's sort of in the middle. It was kind of just put out there and see what happens. And I think the crowd reflected that because they came across pretty quiet for the whole of this match. But somehow I saw, I also wanted to mention about that. I guess we don't know how long they've been there because this isn't turn out, watch the show, go home. They film several of these at a time. Maybe they've been there for three, four hours and they're just knackered. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, there is the chance that they're pretty burnt out. As you say, I don't think they really had uh, major name status at this point. Like, mm. they'd both been there. Tamina, as you said, had a main roster run, as it were. I think she started out almost as like valet for the Usos. Yes. And so hadn't necessarily wrestled that much at this point, or at least not on like the main roster like Raw SmackDown. Mm. Um, in terms of the wrestling, I remember thinking it was kind of scrappy, a little directionless, because I, f- I feel like, not to presume, but I think maybe two less experienced talents with a fair amount of time, especially for the women at that time, because you think about Divas matches on Raw and SmackDown and you'd be lucky to break five minutes. Mm, yeah. So, uh, and this one was, uh, I don't have it written down, but closer to 10, I think. It it came across to me, you saying about it, you know, Divas matches uh, and this was kind of scrappy and a bit, uh, potentially a bit directionless and so on. I, I felt very much the same way. And I almost have it, the, the the proper when people say to me divas matches, obviously some of these ladies on the main roster could really work, uh, and around them were fitness models and so on, who potentially were there for other reasons than wrestling ability, shall we say, trying to be as tactful as possible there. And <laughs> <laughs> I think that when you had these ninety second, two minute divas matches on the main roster, a lot of them were quite clunky and it was a case of okay we've got a couple of athletic moves like normally a a handstand into the corner it was one that some of these ladies would use quite often and so on and then they have potentially a finish they would use and that's kind of how the match would just be structured here it feels kind of the same but maybe one or two notches up we're not approaching anywhere near a level of what we see from women's wrestling today or even nxt in later years to me, it seems that they've got a bit more about them than some of the fitness models and and so on on the main roster, but not masses, I guess. Maybe that's down to more of an inexperienced thing. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I I guess Caitlin, whilst being more of a wrestling fan, did come from like a he was a powerlifting background actually, okay. um, and so as you say, not necessarily starting off as like a wrestling, maybe coming more from that not fitness modeling background but more of an outside of wrestling background um i have a theory and my theory is that the 90 second matches on raw were so heavily produced that when these ladies were given a little bit more freedom they kind of didn't know what to do with it because if you're working like on the fly as people like to say um it's something that you need to get a little bit more, more comfortable with it's something that you need to get used to um i feel like it's maybe a problem that we're experiencing this day and age where you do have like the very overtly choreographed matches mm. and so it does mean that like the stuff in between is maybe lacking sometimes um and i think that might have been the case here because especially at the beginning it seemed as if both were like, well, what should we do then? Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. It felt clunky from that aspect. Mm-hmm. There were there were some, uh, anyone who's ever done like any sort of like improv acting, you'll see like the hands go up and you do that sort of shrug and it's like, I don't really know where we're going with this. So someone pick it up. And I think they were both waiting for the other to pick it up. Yeah, but that I suppose comes back to your point of both potentially being a little inexperienced and maybe needing maybe a, a slightly older head to lead the dance, for want of a better phrase. 
yeah, that I would agree with that. I think it it needed more of a leader, but then I suppose that's what we're here for right now. That's what this match is for, as much as anything. You know, we need to get those reps in, um, and I would assume that NXT at this time wasn't necessarily, you know, it, it didn't, it wasn't a big focus for no. uh, you know the the higher ups, as it were. Yeah, no, I get you, I get you. Ultimately, Tamina wins the match with a version of her dad's top rope splash. It wasn't quite as spectacular as old Jimmy used to hit, but but there we go. The, she tried, should we say? <laughs> the, land, the landing was nice. She, It maybe could have got a little more height. Yes. Yeah, and maybe a bit more distance, potentially, as well. She felt very close, her opponent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say so. And I, I think that says something, because I recall Tamina actually pulling her closer. Yes. That's right. I almost felt like moonsault territory. Like she would, when you see people drag their opponent closer to for a moonsault, but I thought, well, I, I know Tamina's not going to do a moonsault because if she could do a moonsault, I'd have seen it before. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah. I think maybe uh, she wanted to do that splash to honor her dad, but maybe she wasn't entirely confident with it. Or as you say, maybe she just didn't have the uh, spring in her legs. It's a long way down from there, mate. I'd be terrified up there. I'll tell you that now. Hey, I've I've been there. It is a long way down. Yes. Like you don't appreciate quite how far down it is until you're up there. <laughs> um, something I want to mention uh, to you, well, ask you about really uh, that made me uh, that came to my attention during this match, potentially because the crowd was so quiet, you could hear the ladies shouting and yelling a lot. I'm not, I'm not saying calling spots or anything like that. I, you know, that's that's neither here nor there to me, but you could hear them shouting and yelling a lot. At one stage when they were exchanging um, forearms or, or elbows or you know the back and forth in, in that way, it almost felt like a tennis match, a ladies' tennis match, where you get the alternate cries and yelps and shouts. And that kind of made me think about other wrestlers who are potentially noisy in the ring. And Mick Foley straight away popped to my head because whenever Mick Foley throws punches, he makes that funny noise with each one he throws. Mm. Is this something that is important to make a noise yourself when you're throwing a punch or a forearm? Is it something you do yourself? Is it more important that the person receiving the move yelps in pain potentially? Or if the crowd is big and loud, does it not matter at all? I'll just sort of give us your thoughts on that. It's certainly something I do or try to do. Um, I think it's, it's definitely something we're taught to do. Um, as you said, if, if the crowd's making noise, you don't necessarily have to worry about it as much. Okay. But also, it is Shakespeare, isn't it? It's a little bit over the top. And so I think that's what we're providing. Um, there's nothing wakes up a crowd as much as a good bit of noise, especially with like physical contact. Like, you know, you hear a good chop or a good forearm, it immediately like, ooh. And I think that there's an element of that. Um but yeah, also it's it's kind of it's a little bit weird. Like if you're watching, say, boxing, no people aren't screaming as they wind up their punches, but they're making noise. Like yeah. they normally hear that exhale and something. So I think complete silence would be a little weird. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. It was just so uh, not dominant, but very much in your face in this match that I thought you know it's kind of popped the question in my head. Something else that has also been very in your face this whole career. We get a big E vignette here, don't we? 
an do. advert for, for Big E, and he's talking about dusting his hands, and he's a very, very serious individual here. Oh, very serious. I've got that written down. Ain't he serious? But I tell, <laughs> you, but I tell you what, he looked like an absolute beast. Mm. That guy's physique is just insane, isn't it? He's just... And it's a real shame that he sort of made it to, I suppose, the, the pinnacle. He was the world champion, and obviously dropped the title but and then picked up an injury when they were talking about him potentially having a rematch and so on. It, I think that's a real shame because he's a star. He's not just great in the ring and, and, you know, popular with the kids and whoever else watches and so on. But, you know, on the mic, it's, I mean, so much charisma. I think this guy could have been a really, really, really big deal. Not just a big star in wrestling, but breaking down those barriers again, in a, not saying out on the same level, but in the same way the rock has done in the past. It could have been that much of a star because he is so charismatic and so easy to like. And I just sort of think, I don't know if he is coming back, able to come back, or if there's a time frame on it. But I think that injury must have come at a really terrible, terrible time for him. Yeah, it's never great, um, especially, you know, neck breaking your neck. Because even mm. if he does come back, it oh, it tends to put like a time limit on things. Like it always has, like Edge springs to mind, though obviously Edge is back now. Mm. Um but you, you get that broken neck and it tends to be, you know, a bit of a, I can't think of a better word than to say like a death sentence for your career. Like it, it leaves yeah. you on borrowed time. Obviously medicine's moved on. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's having a neck fusion. I would assume so because that tends to be the way that they go with a broken neck. But as as said before, like, you know, things have moved forward. So fingers crossed for him. Cause yes, as you said, he, um, he was a big star. He brought something different. He wasn't like the ultra tough guy. He wasn't like the ultra tough guy he's playing right now. Or like, you know, let's be honest, the majority of the roster, we tend to have like macho manly tough guys or, yes, you know, or, again, ass kickers. And that's not to say that Big E can't handle business, but he definitely has a more, again, there's a much more comedic side to him. Mm-hmm. And well, I think that's good as well because it shows his own charisma and it can appeal to, especially the younger viewers. I mean, my daughter doesn't watch WWE, but she knows Biggie and Kofi uh, and, and those guys because of the, how funny they are and she catches clips on YouTube and so on. But the contrast is then possible. If you've got the one side of the coin where, he's smiling, laughing, doing the new day clap and making silly jokes and all that sort of stuff. The contrast when that is flipped to him being serious and committed and potentially angry in a match or whatever, all of a sudden everything he does from that aspect means a hell of a lot more because we know him as the other side of the coin, this happy go lucky smiley, you know, for the kids kind of character. Comedic actors have a better time playing serious roles than serious actors have playing comedic roles mm. and i think that that could be the case with big e where he's got that range he we've seen that he can be you know more jovial but as we can see in this vignette he can also look pretty damn scary yeah without a doubt without a doubt Range, I believe, is the term. But range. <laughs> uh, our next contest, then, we have someone we're seeing quite a bit of in the last few weeks in Jinder Mahal, and somebody who I've not seen wrestle before. 
in Percy Watson. Now, Watson goes on to do commentary, doesn't he, eventually, with NXT, and I think somewhere else as well, but the name escapes me right now. Maybe MLW, I'm not 100% sure. But mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, I've never seen the guy actually wrestle before I watched this show. To me, it was obvious going in, Jinder was going to pick up the win because that seems the momentum we're building, and he seems to be earmarked for um, bigger things in the near future, as opposed to Percy Watson, who may be looking at bigger things in the more distant future, potentially at this point in their careers. But I, I didn't mind this too much, to be fair. You had a, you had Percy Watson, who was a pretty smiley, good guy. You, you pulled out a few moves that were quite impressive. Like there's a very high heel kick at the beginning and so on against Jinder, who is that classic, nasty, proper bad guy. It kind of worked for me. Percy Watson, hell of an athlete. More than anything, he had athleticism for days. As they said, I think he was a former football player and he had some ridiculous vertical leap that I don't recall, but I think Regal said something about that. Um, 37 inches or something like that. Something insane. Something bonkers. Especially for a guy that that big. Yeah. He's a big dude. Like, he's got size. Um, As you say, with Jinder, um, say classic, classic heel um still got the whole like you know nasty foreigner thing um they said regal said that he was related to um gamma singh who's a was a big deal in um in india and it made me think there's a lot of second generation third generation guys in nxt right now like most people seem to have some sort of familial connection in order to have gotten in i mean you've got bray wyatt Bo Dallas, Richie Steamboat, um, the list goes on, but those are the ones that sprung to mind. Yeah, you're right. And it is, it's, it's something else that I kind of noticed as well. Because I, mean, I think later in the show, we have Raquel Diaz making her debut, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. But a comment mm-hmm. on commentary was about her her lineage in the business and so on. And it was at that moment, I started thinking, there is quite a few sort of second generation guys or even third generation guys in in the roster here. So, yeah, it's very interesting. So we'll have to keep an eye on to see how that works out for some of them. Like, we, we know some are going to go on and be successful. Some inevitably will fall away. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting over the coming weeks and months how that works out for them. Yeah, I think it's clear to see uh, at least part of their recruiting process. Mm. Um, so getting back to the match, um, something that I recall was that fairly early on, Jinder Mahal does this big, nasty kick to Watson's knee from the ground. And I remember thinking it was brutal. The one thing that I didn't like about it is he didn't follow up. Okay. You could have built a match around that. You could like, like it's very relatable, right? Someone hyperextending their knee. Mm. Like it, someone, you can see that being done and you're like, Oh, that is going to take you out of commission. And it really good. Like (laughs) that's the sort of thing that if done, in the real world that could like really seriously injure someone. So the fact that he didn't follow up on that and that it just came to chopping meat as it were, mm-hmm. um, was somewhat disappointing. Um, it was one of those matches as well that very much had the, Oh, it's my turn to do moves now. I yeah. It did feel that way. Um, like with Percy Watson having been worked over for a considerable amount of time when it came his turn to do stuff, he was very much back up at hundred percent doing his thing. Uh, post-match Jinder Mahal getting back on Watson. 
I feel it was the same thing. And that potentially says something about like the inexperience of both guys, particularly Watson. Um, and it was in stark contrast to what we're going to get to in a moment. But it, it because of what followed this, I feel it made it more glaring, at least to me, that the little things were disregarded. Okay. It's interesting you mentioned about the, the, the shots of the knee because I've said before on this show and many others, I like when somebody injures a body part then. I know that sounds a bit morbid, doesn't it? I don't mean it quite like that, but in the aspect of wrestling, I like it when somebody you know has a shoulder injury and knee injury and it's something for their opponent to target and work over it. And it helps tell a great story for me. Bret Hart was fantastic at this. With, and we refer to it in my house quite quite often as the Bret Hart limp because that was seemed to be his favourite body part to sell because you'd think King of the Ring 93... Uh, Raw Rumble 94. We had the Bret Hart limp a lot in that time. And <laughs> yeah. Here, the kick to the knee. If I'm thinking of the same moment, he hits a kick to the knee, and then as his opponent drops to, to, to his knees, he hits another kick to the side of the head. Yeah, that's now, correct. Right, now, I loved that. I thought that was so clever, because normally you see a kick to the knee, and then the, the guy giving the move, so to speak, jumps up and does something else or whatever. Jinder, it was almost like a a mini combination like you would throw like a boxer or somebody would throw, but with his feet, it was a kick to the knee and then spin the hips, kick to the head. I thought that was really cool. But now you're mentioning about not following up on the shot to the knee. I'll be honest. That didn't even enter my mind watching this back, but you're hundred percent correct. That That is really strange. Cause as you said, you hit someone front on in the knee, that's going to bloody hurt. But Jinder's finisher is what it is. I mean, he wins the match here with it again, doesn't he? That, that camel clutch, Mm-hmm. kind of move perhaps it doesn't suit where he wants to go maybe he wants to work on the back more if he's thinking that in depth about telling a story i don't know no i can i can see where that comes from again for for me it was just such a it's such a devastating thing that i feel like you should make more of it because yeah. yes as, as you said that he did do the kick to the knee and then follow it up with a kick to the head and it works and it's cool but for me I just feel like something like that, you could make much more of it because it's such a relatable thing. Mm. Like people have hyperextended their knee. Like most people watching wrestling probably haven't been suplexed. Most people, unless like their older brothers, then it probably haven't been DDT'd. Um, But but you understand like you've probably been punched in the head at some point. Mm -hmm. And so it's relatable. And so something like that, I feel should be made more of if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Uh, one thing that I didn't really enjoy about this match was when uh, Watson jumped on the middle rope and was going to jump off into a, into effectively a crossbody. He's, he's sent into the buckles and Jinder's following him. And Watson jumps onto the middle turnbuckles with his back to the ring to spring back into a, a crossbody. Jinder drops down so that Watson misses the move. The issue is Jinder drops down so early Watson effectively stands there and stares right at him at one stage <laughs> before jumping backwards. I I also noticed that one. I it's probably something I've done. However, if it's me and it's a more high risk strategy, you wait until they've left their feet, and so it's much more of a reactionary thing. Right. Okay. Um, the actual, as you say, the spot itself is perfectly fine. I just, um, as you say, I think the timing was a little bit 
like it was definitely like the planned finish as it were i just feel like maybe jinder was a bit keen on yeah. getting that drop down because yeah as you said by the time percy watson had left left the ropes he was already down on his belly yeah slight just a slight time issue then i guess yeah hmm. um we get a little promo package for raquel diaz and the unveiling is happening tonight, apparently. So there's something for the whole world to look forward to. And uh, Leo Kruger is up next, our buddy from South Africa. And he is facing Richie Steamboat in, in a match. I'll be honest with you. I don't know why, because, I mean, Kruger wasn't massively impressive to me when we saw him previously. And Steamboat, there's a few moments that we sort of... We, that there are pros and cons to Steamboat so far. But when the graphic came up that you know Leo Kruger versus Richie Steamboat next, I was like, oh, bloody brilliant. And instantly, I was looking forward to it. So they've made an impact on me, potentially, right? Me even me even realizing it, maybe. Yeah, see, I um I really like Leo Kruger. I really liked him in his debut against Old Aiden English. Um my issue, and we had the same problem with the last time that he was on screen and that was that he was either immediately followed by or immediately preceded by Jinder Mahal. And oh, yeah. they're kind of the same character. Mm. Um, you know, they're kind of that entitled wealthy foreign menace, no yeah. capable, but, and so it's kind of one of those where it's like, maybe just reshuffle your order in there guys. Um, that does make a lot of sense. And it's very much a case of the entrances. I mean, when they're actually wrestling, uh, watching the individual, it may not be that striking straight away. But the entrances especially are very similar because it is thrust down your throat. It's very much Indian imagery on the screen. And, you know, the music is very fitting as well. And then Leo Kruger, there is like, I mean, uh, there's not necessarily as much South African imagery as literally South African flags slapping you in the face. It's the, it's the most unsubtle thing ever. So you, that, that whole uh, similarity between the two, I suppose the, the way they're trying to go about what they're doing with these two individuals. Yeah. It really does cross over to being, okay, have we not just seen the same guy, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the main difference I'd say between the two is I would consider Leo Kruger to be a, a more colorful version like there's a little bit more levity to it. Like there was a moment when he was walking down the ramp and he turns and holds his nose towards yeah. like a fan, like in, implying that they smell and little things like that just gave it a bit more. Again, I th- I'm fairly sure Kruger's older. Like I think he's an older person anyway. I think he was in his thirties at this point, maybe his late twenties. Okay. So he just had that more, that higher level of experience. And I think it shines through in this match because I tell you what, Sai, I bloody love Leo Kruger. Yeah, he's I growing think on he's me. Tremendous! I'm stealing all his stuff. Um, I there were just so many things about this match that I enjoyed. Uh, Richie Steamboat, he's so much like his dad. Like he looks like his dad. He's just a smaller version. Like he's got, he's literally got the same face, just yeah. with a bit of on. Um, not that that's like it's not a negative it just kind of is what it is um it's obviously a blessing and a curse though because it's a pretty high bar to set for yourself well yeah i mean with richie steamboat the, the impression i get with Richie steamboat is okay if i saw him wrestle next week on nxt great but if he's not on the show i'm not going to be upset about it 
he he mm-hmm. does a good enough job for me, but it's almost like he's not essential viewing. He's just kind of is uh, the best way of describing Richie Steamboat for me is his whole persona, his whole gimmick is that he is literally Ricky Steamboat's son. There is nothing about him that is at the moment anyway, because it's still his very early days, of course. But at the moment, it's a case of his surname is Steamboat. Oh, he can throw a chop like his dad. That's kind of all I've got so far. But not that he's done anything wrong. I've enjoyed watching him, but that's kind of what where it sort of starts and ends for me with regards to potential gimmick or persona or even even character work, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's that blessing and a curse thing, right? Mm. Because and it might come out with time because obviously you had individuals like Charlotte Flair who started out and their whole thing was I'm Ric Flair's kid, you know, and she seems to have done all right from it. But then well, she yeah. has, but she has evolved. There's more to her now than just being Ric Flair's kid. Though the more I think about it, maybe not. Mm, well, <laughs> um, um, sorry, but, go on. But, but in terms of essential viewing, do you know who is essential viewing? Leo Kruger. Wow. He's bloody, he's bloody brilliant. I loved everything that he did. He had so many different little moments. Like there was a, a moment where he hooked Steamboat for a uh, suplex and he rolled him up. And then immediately after having gotten back on top, he goes straight back to the suplex. Yeah. I just, I enjoyed the little things like that. Um, he sell, well, I've got well, noted here, sorry, that I've actually, that my note literally says Joshua has to steal this. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's in the corner when um, Steamboat is facing out of the corner. Kruger is very close quarters because they're in the corner. He drops to the deck and basically just does a roll up or a schoolboy, as some people refer to it as, and sends Steamboat's head into the buckle. And mm-hmm. I thought, man, that is so simple. So straightforward, but how effective did that look? Absolutely. I'm I am stealing that one. I'm stealing yeah. the thing <laughs> that immediately followed it, which was he took Steamboat by the head. And in the same way as you would run run someone's head into the post or the corner, he ran like their throat into the rope. And yeah. I've never seen it before. And I thought it was brilliant. And the next time I wrestle, I'm doing it. So sorry to whoever's gonna be on the receiving <laughs> end of that. <laughs> Uh, he takes a massive monkey flip as well out of the corner here, and he flew. I mean, it looks spectacular anyway because he's a he's a tall guy. But mm-hmm. I suppose in a way, we were talking about Titus O'Neil on, on a previous week's episode. He's kind of I think the phrase you used was limmy, like his arms and legs are quite long as well. But he, he's an incredibly tall, slender man, very muscular, of course, with, with long arms and legs. And when he's sent on this monkey flip, the camera angle they cut to just looked incredible because he seemed to be in the air forever with his arms and legs flailing around before he hit the mat and just sort of bounced on the canvas. And I thought that was really well done. Yes, I agree. I think that the camera angle helped it. Um, That's one of those where you kind of have to, like I think I've said before, give it beans and Mm. that's Richie Steamboat. Like you've got to get the timing right on it, but just give him the push of the legs and that's what sends you into orbit. And he did a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, we do get a brief fight back from Steamboat with um, a few chops and so on before he attempts a crossbody. And then the, the momentum, I guess, and Kruger wrestling ability uses that momentum to roll through into a cover. I'm not expecting much, but then his feet pop off on the ropes and he gets a free count. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Um... It's a, a good way to keep the story going. So you've got 
Kruger win, but not by, um, you know, not clean as a whistle. So it gives Steamboat a reason to, uh, you know, be aggrieved and, you know, just keep, just keep things going again. We're just still laying the foundation. So, you know, we've just got a little, little, little something, little something here ready to either keep it going or take it away. Even if you do nothing else with it, you know that you like Steamboat, you dislike Kruger and he cheated to win. So curse that guy, but don't curse that guy. Bless that guy. He's bloody brilliant, side. <laughs> bloody brilliant. Uh, coming to a show near you very soon, Joshua Kruger. We, um, <laughs> <laughs> you could potentially wear a black and uh, sort of green striped T-shirt of a glove with knives on the hand as well, couldn't you? At Halloween. Proper hammer. <laughs> Good <laughs> deal. I was thinking, to be honest, I was more tempted to steal the sash, but you know, uh, hey, we'll do that. Oh, the sash, William Regal saying that the sash was bestowed to him by, by Nelson, Nelson Mandela. Mandela. Oh, my word. It's yeah, so be... ridiculous. But when it comes out of Regal's mouth, you sort of sit there and go, okay, I could buy that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Uh, up next, we have the debuting Raquel Diaz, and she is facing Paige. Always great to see Paige, especially this early in her career. See how she's uh, progressing. Diaz Absolutely. is out first, which was interesting to me. And she comes out with a headset and she is cutting a promo all the way down to the ring about how she's going to exfoliate the ugliness away, which is a great use of some brilliant words there. But I'm not sure exactly what the the message is until she starts pointing out how the colors are disgusting. And uh, by the time she's got to the ring, plus her vignettes helped, of course, you kind of know this is almost like the beautiful people gimmick that we saw in TNA for a while. She's very much a case of I'm amazing. You're all disgusting. And it draws heat. Doesn't it? Let's be honest. People, it, when, when, when good looking people turn around and go, I'm good looking. I'm better than you. It works. It's interesting though, Sly, because I wonder how this character would work today. I don't, I don't think people would accept it. I think it was actually as weird as it says, it was very much of its time because as she said, she's like the ultra diva and the mean girl shtick. I don't think would land the same way. I think people would be genuinely offended. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I suppose it comes under, if, you, if you're talking about people's appearances and, and so on, and I think it's worse when it comes from a lady as well, mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, cause it could be seen as, as, as very much bullying and, and you said the mean girls aspect as well. I mean, literally, again, I'll bring it up again because I watched it just last night. AEW this week, you had MJF referring to people as fat and grotesque in the crowd. For some reason, I find when MJF does that or when any, I suppose, when when a fella does it, I find it easier to take as, oh, it's just wrestling than if you see a girl do it. And especially when it comes to the body shaming aspect. I mean, when Alexa Bliss had the, the whole thing with Nia Jax, I find that as as a father to to three girls, I find that horrific to watch. Mm-hmm. It certainly leaves a bad taste in the mouth, especially now. Like obviously, it wasn't. It was. It was still the situation was the same, but I feel like society has changed that much in ten years. Yeah. Um, for for good or ill, you know. How, however, you sit on the, you know, whichever side of the fence on that you sit. Like the world is different now, and so I don't feel that a character like. Raquel Diaz would be accepted. No, and potentially for the, the better of all, I mm-hmm. guess. 
because you yeah. don't want to be encouraged that kind of behavior from anybody so uh but yes we we uh we have that entrance there and then Paige is making her entrance with an absolutely horrid entrance theme that was that was terrible yeah i think she got generic theme 45 didn't she yeah i think so i wonder if they actually know what each number is or they just press a button and go go on then laugh right you go yeah (laughs) (laughs) the the other thing i noticed though she had a a following so Mm. you know she seemed pretty popular so whatever she's been doing off camera or maybe out of sequences it's working Mm. do you Um, think maybe i had a theory about Paige, especially when she made that step from uh, i think it was the night after wrestlemania wasn't it when she arrived on raw I think she is so out of the mold for what we saw in that time and the years before. I mean, you think about it, the sort of the years before this on the main roster, you had the likes of, I'm going to name names here, and I apologize if I'm getting the timeline wrong or the dates they worked for the company wrong, but you did have the likes of Tori Wilson, Trish Stratus, Maurice, and then le- a bit later on, you had the likes of Eve Torres, and it seemed that the 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 attraction level of these ladies the 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 way they looked you know fair play to them i'm just gonna say it. i apologize if it's offensive to anybody but the way these ladies looked incredible let's be honest it sort of stayed the same they had that that sort of model aspect to them but a lot of the wrestling ability from like when trish retired in say oh five oh six it wasn't the same on the main roster it seemed to go go down whereas Paige, she's a bit of a rocker she's a bit of a uh, she's got the black hair. She's got the piercings. She, you know, she looks the way she does. It's very much against the mold of that time, and I think that really helped her with regards to, especially going to the main roster with her popularity as well, and the fact she can actually bloody wrestle. So, I'd say the ladies you mentioned prior were beautiful women who wrestled. Mm-hmm. Paige was a female wrestler like she was a wrestler first she yes. wasn't a woman first she was a wrestler first and i think that's where the difference is in a lot of regards and i think she wasn't the first but as you said she also had she didn't look like everyone else and she she's been quoted as saying like it was very much even still at that point there was still very much a drive for people to look a certain way and to behave a certain way and to dress a certain way and she didn't do that um and it made her stand out and it would obviously it helped that she had the wrestling ability but actually to be honest i think even if she didn't have the wrestling ability the fact that she was different would have still given her a boost at least somewhat the fact that she could then back it up really put her over the top Mm. i I suppose going back to the whole mean girls thing that we spoke about previously (laughs) when you look at somebody who is a bit different on the the women's side of the roster in recent years again not the immediate recent years because as as you explained joshua it seems like things have changed but again we come back to the nia jacks body shaming storyline page had certain things said about her complexion and her accent and her, her black hair and so on and then you also had the whole mickey james piggy james story which is the most ridiculous thing ever because she was being called fat and so on. I mean, she's an incredibly look, incredible looking lady as well. There's this, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, it is almost like for a period of time that being different got you noticed, but then maybe 
got you a storyline where your differences were pointed out potentially i go back to the whole idea of something being a blessing and a curse side mm. um but yeah it's very much it was just a dark time for female wrestling i don't think yeah. there's any other way to put it um i think some of the higher ups maybe just didn't value them or maybe had their priorities wrong shall we say in terms of at least what i would look for in a wrestler i would look for ability first mm-hmm. and uh, you know if if you look good or whatever that's a bonus but yeah you've got to be able to do it you've got to be able to do it and um as you said um there's a, a lot of body shaming there's no other way to put it and yeah it's horrible it's, it's and it was done in such a way where it was clear that the people doing it were the villains but then you could also argue that them, some of those people never really quite got their comeuppance that they deserved and i no. think that i think in instances like that you kind of it might have actually been helped by the fact that let's say let's say mickey james the the piggy james thing if you had lay cool being horrible which they were i think it would have been made a little more palatable if everyone else had then rallied around Mickey James. Right. Does that yeah. make sense? Like the, the other divas and, and some of the men as well. Like if you had moments where it's like, don't, don't be listening to them. They're just, tr- they're, they're either trying to get in your head or they really believe that in which case, uh, horrible people. All that. I mean, let's be honest. Some of these ladies, they lose a great deal of weight because of their fitness programs and their eating mm. styles and so on they could be be potentially jealous of Mickey James having less, you know, a, a very curvaceous, stunning figure. Yeah. I mean, this pro wrestling isn't a PSA. This isn't, you know, we're not necessarily watching this in order to learn something, but we also shouldn't necessarily be sending like negative messages, no, especially course, yes. when you've got a lot of young, impressionable people watching. Yeah, exactly. And again, it comes back to my first hand experiences. I've got three girls myself who are now 18, 12, and 15. So the, the two older ones, they're out and about there. They've got social media and so on. I worry every day that they're going to be confronted with that kind of stuff out in the real world. I don't want to see that put in front of them at home on their television, sat next to their dad, watching something we adore. But mm-hmm. I'm glad it kind of feels like it has changed anyway. But with regards to the match, it kind of it's kind of something and nothing, isn't it? They, they sort of, they get going and then, um, <laughs> Diaz hits a gory bomb and it's over. It's, I thought we were going to get a little bit longer here. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, we are still very much getting just a taste and it's interesting how page actually had the majority of the offense. I find it was again, mm. the, the main thing, everything was good. Everything that they did was good. It was just unfortunate. They just, they just didn't get a chance to even get out of first gear. Like they never really got going. Um, also think it was interesting that Diaz used the gory bomb that they referred to her as a Guerrero. Why yeah. is she not? Why is she not Raquel Guerrero then? Yeah, yeah, that was what I mean. That was kind of what I mentioned earlier on with regards to somebody being another generational talent. And they said Guerrero and I was like, Oh, okay. Cause I didn't know that. I don't know if it's true. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't. We'll have to look at look that. Oh yeah, she. Week. That's 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 Shaw Guerrero. That's Eddie Guerrero's daughter. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. You see, you learn something every day, don't you? Every day is a school day, my friend. <laughs> oh, why? Okay. Um, 
following this, we get similar to the toilet skit we had a few weeks back with a couple of the guys there setting up their match for the following week. We get something very much in the same wheelhouse, don't we? Where Paul Whelan. Oh, dear, yeah. Alex Riley, who has a banging entrance theme. Can't wait to hear that. And, <laughs> well, Alex Riley is talking to Cesaro's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. To which point, I mean, she is, yes, she, she is making advances, shall we say, to which Alex mm-hmm. Riley is not particularly accepting of. Cesaro arrives and declares in his best Arnold Schwarzenegger robotic, but as as not robotic acting, as a robot, he sounds like a Terminator. Hey, what are you doing with my girl? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, this hasn't got off to a good start. And amazingly, it got worse, Joshua. <laughs> Do you think? I, I actually didn't hate it. I didn't no. love it. But for me, I felt it had a it it improved on toilet improv because it yeah. had yeah it had a little more i feel it was a little more scripted they had more actual points so they actually got a point across if nothing else like they had some still funny haha that wasn't necessarily all that funny haha um but it was still done i think better than the instance we saw before if nothing else that's the i'm trying to be positive on this one well, that's <laughs> but yeah like the acting isn't going to win us any oscars um, I say everyone's still a bit shiny new. Uh, it kind of, again, it was what it was. My main thing was it's better than the time before. And Alex Riley having a go at Cesaro for having a Merce. I've got a Merce. Merce is a very useful. Don't mock the Merce. Hey, I wasn't going to say a word, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a fella who looks like me could be able to put it off as well as others though i think you've got to have a certain aspect of your own style to be able to do that and i'm lacking in that that feature so <laughs> yeah but that sets up our match for next week then cesaro and alex riley next week arguing over uh, uh, cesaro's girlfriend done a merce but whatever if we get cesaro in the ring i'm happy so there we go that brings us to main event time and you know it's something serious because good old jr is joining us on commentary once again i love jr uh, we have here Heath Slater versus Justin Gabriel. I was really excited to see Justin Gabriel because I always remember him being really good to watch bell to bell. And we've had, we saw him in a previous week's episode, uh, sort of talking and, and, and sort of engaging with Heath Slater and setting up this match. Wasn't the best. And that is an aspect of him. I suppose that has always been with him throughout his career. It's maybe not a strong point of his, but in the ring, this guy, I, I reckon he's fantastic. Yeah, as a as a performer, very good. Again, like this is a very good match, mm, a very yes. good match, and um, like all around because Jr. Again, you mentioned him; he was there and he put a shift in because you've been saying for weeks, like, why are these people fighting? Jr. kept kept going over the point that these matches matter and that they're important and that they could be like big steps for their career. Like he, at one point, which was a little hyperbola said like these, this is the biggest match of both men's career. They've yeah. both, they've both wrestled at WrestleMania at this point. So <laughs> this could be the way to turn things around and get the ticket to the big time. So I think maybe he was in tune with uh, what you were thinking about, like, what is this all for? And he's really hammering home the point that these matches matter. 
yeah, and it did feel like there was more of a. I mean, realistically, that there's not there's not more of a purpose this week than there was last week. There's no difference, but it felt more important. And I'm guessing that is down to what Jim Ross was saying. And I, I was picking up on it without really thinking it through potentially. But yeah, I suppose that does explain why this did feel more important to me than than what was going on last week because the stakes were exactly the same. <laughs> they were exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Justin Gabriel comes to the ring, a big cheesy smile on his face, reaching out, touching the kids' hands. He is just a complete white meat baby face, isn't he? That's that's kind of what he is. And it kind of got me thinking, have you ever worked as the good guy? Because I don't think I've ever seen you wrestle as the good guy. It's happened rarely, and I failed spectacularly because I was trying to be something that I was not, in that I was trying to be the smiley white meat baby face as you put it i fundamentally misunderstood what that means to be honest and i pandered and it failed um if you can be that white meat baby face then great because i think for a guy like gabriel kind of like tyson kid like their work speaks for itself like they're very athletic they're very flashy um and so it they lean far more into like the idea of just being a good guy i am when I wrestle, I'm much more grounded. I'm much more of a brawler. I'm not necessarily the most naturally likable of performers when you see me, but that doesn't by any means mean that I can't play that role. And now if I had the opportunity, I'd play it very differently. I wouldn't try to like fundamentally change who I was as a character because like with most fiction, the good person, the good guy and the bad guy is mostly down to perspective, right? Yes. You know, it, it's not always that you dislike, you know, or that you like the good guy. It's often that you dislike the bad guy. And that actually leans in quite heavily to what I think was the case here, because Heath Slater was probably the biggest star on NXT up to this point. Okay. In terms of the guy had been all over TV. He just, he was in the middle of this run with the legends and he might not have been seen as like a serious title threat or anything, but he was probably the most recognizable face that we've seen on NXT up to this point with the 2012 lens on. And he was on TV for a long time as well. Nexus was before this as well, wasn't it? And he was quite a prominent part in that. Yeah. I mean, Gabriel was as well, but Mm -hmm. yes, he was. And I think he's, Slate has been used prominently since Nexus. He has been more of a comedic figure, but he's been used prominently. Um, and so, and it also meant that they didn't need to do as much. They got a much greater reaction because they were a lot more over for want of a better term. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, Justin Gabriel though. It, again, I, I said, I was ex- lo- really looking forward to seeing him work here. And he didn't let me down. We had some really great looking arm drags. The guy's the guy's so quick. The speed he has, running the ropes, you know, dropping down, leapfrog, and so on. It's just it's so good. And it makes it's exciting as a viewer watching that 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 level of speed. But then the speed sort of quickens as well. It, it, I I just think the guy was the guy was superb. Yeah, he um he works. He has a very quick style. Um, he is still able to change those gears, and you need to be able to do that especially like in the middle of like working heat. If you've got that hope spot in where, you know, the good guy gets a bit more offense, you want there to be a tangible shift in gears. And Justin Gabriel is able to do that. He's also able to 
remember the little things he's still selling like when he's first like cut off um from that springboard also that's why i don't springboard that looked awful oh yeah that's, that's what the turns that that's what turns who's in charge doesn't it at that point yeah like but he sort of he's going for a springboard slater taps like his shins he hits the apron and then rocks back and like tips like a weeble like right onto the, yeah. the back of his head it looked awfully it's either something that gabriel can specifically do or it was you know not quite how he planned it but mm. again the one thing like he landed he started grabbing at his neck and for the rest of the match a focal point was how he was working the neck yes so, and, and again, that's what we spoke about earlier, isn't it? With regards to targeting a body part. Um, yeah. My mind always goes to an arm or a leg just because it's just the nature of what you see a great deal of, I guess. But here, the, the neck is the issue. And we do get well, three neck breakers, actually. We get a big sort of standard neck breaker. Another one from uh, Justin Gabriel kind of being kneeling on the middle rope and going into a neck breaker. And another mm-hmm. one where he come, he's on the top rope and he later drops into a neck breaker position there. Lots of chin locks, etc., as well. Really working that neck area, and that again made a question pop in my head for you, Joshua. <laughs> With regards to body parts, and I suppose it's twofold, really. I, I mentioned the Bret Hart limp all the time. Very tongue in cheek. I take the mick out of Bret. I love Bret to bits. It's very tongue in cheek, but that seems to be if Bret's going to sell a body part, his go-to is the limp, mm-hmm. especially in the early nineties. Do you have a particular body part that you think you sell better than others? And that's your go-to. And I suppose on the other side of the coin, is there a body part you like to work over on the opposition more often with potentially a finish in mind or because there's certain moves or a move set involved on that particular body part that you tend to deviate towards? So as it pertains to myself, and I imagine it might be the same for Brett, do you do it without thinking? Like you, the way you sell is so thoroughly ingrained. Like for, for me personally, selling was always something that came naturally to me. Okay. It's been a registered move. So I kind of do that stuff without thinking. I've never really had to overly analyze that kind of stuff. Um, with working a limb, obviously, as you said, you want to work something to build to your finish. Um, for me, something that I quite like to use is a Cobra clutch. And so I will, it actually is, somewhat freeing because it means i can work the arm i can work the neck i can work you know the body part any body part because it's still you know taking the breath away from somebody Mm. and i think that's handy just having more options but at the same time like if the match calls for it i can do something else because one of the advantages of not having too much context if that's the right word like you know not being amazingly well known is if i tomorrow have a match and i'm like i'm just going to work the leg people aren't like, why is he working a leg? Why is he doing a figure four? I thought he did a Cobra clutch. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I suppose it's the exposure level, isn't it, as well? It's kind of like you wrestle for certain companies who have their regulars, they would kind of know. But if you went to a new company as well, they wouldn't necessarily know unless they'd seen videos of yourself online and so on. So no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got a cool spinebuster, mind, by Heath Slater here, don't we? Oh, Jim double Ross A would have been yeah, uh, and that's when eventually we get the net breaker from the top as well. Mm-hmm. Um, then 
it changes very quickly then because Heath Slater has been in control for, for, for a little while now, working over the neck and so on. But we end up very quickly going into this middle rope moonsault attempt by uh, Justin Gabriel. But instead mm. of instead of hitting his opponent with his body and, and taking him down or whatever, he catches his head and drops into almost uh, a sting style scorpion death drop kind of kind of grip and then actually hits that move and that concludes the match. I thought that looked fantastic as well. Yeah, I mean always going to enjoy a DDT as a finish given the move the respect yes. is Um I do feel like with the uh, moonsault there was maybe an issue with uh, range and so when Slater I think he was maybe a little bit too close or possibly too far away I'm not entirely sure but it did mean that as Gabriel went to do the move his knees buckled but because it wasn't like you know just a regular flat back yeah so it kind of it was a little bit janky um not so terrible as to you know completely go off the rails but it is always a problem when the finish of your match goes a bit sideways because it is the exclamation point and it is the bit that people will remember like you can ask most people about their favorite wrestling match and they can tell you, but then you ask them what happens. There's a good chance they'll remember the entrances and the finish. Yeah. And so your, your finish really does need to hit home. And if it doesn't, then it can take away from what is a very good match. Mm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and that, I suppose that's it. That's the end of the episode, isn't it? We, we sort of flew through that as, as the show itself was easy to fly through. I mean, it was 45 minutes ish. We had, what, five wrestling matches on there? A couple mm-hmm. of vignettes sort of progressing what's going to happen next week. I feel here uh, on week five, this is really starting to take shape into, into what we're going to be getting as well. Uh, the only thing left for us to do, Joshua, is to, I suppose, pass off some ratings in our opinions, I guess, our plus points and our negatives, our pros and our cons, our glorious and our soft moments. There's only one word to describe you! Glorious! You're soft, you slap. What have you got for us, bud? Do you want to go first or second? And do you want to go glorious or soft? You know what? I will go first. And I will go with my glorious first to okay. make a change. And for me, my glorious was Leo Kruger. Everything about him. I am absolutely in love with this man. He is someone who I hadn't really paid much attention to, but Believe me when I say I will be watching with keen interest. Um, and conversely, my soft moment was the fact that we didn't have more Leo Kruger on this show. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, my glorious was the main event. I really, really enjoyed that match. Really enjoyed that match. Uh, my soft was the Riley Cesaro segment. Yes, it was better than Toilet Improv from previous weeks. But it still wasn't quite there for me. It still just, was a bit wooden and a bit, you know. Just, just because something's better doesn't mean that it's good. No, by comparison, because the thing it could be better than could be absolute dog tripe. But there we yeah. go. <laughs> hit, miss or middling, my friend? Oh, still a big hit for me, Si. Yeah. yeah still hitting yeah. the targets. It, as you said, they're, they're really building those foundations. You can, If you were to watch the next show and go, I know this person and I know who he likes and he doesn't like. And so right now, can't really ask for much more. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm going hit this week as well. Uh, if the worst moment of the show for me, if my soft is the Riley Cesaro segment, and it wasn't even that bad, 
I don't think it can leave you any more of an option than to go with a hit because everything else, like you said, it was it, it served a function. It it went from serving a function to being very good. Mm-hmm. So, what more can you ask for? Yeah, for well, for more me, Leo my, Kruger, obviously. Okay. <laughs> so for me, my my main gripe with it now is that we are still in that building phase. I want to see more big time main event matches. I want mm-hmm. I want to see more of pretty well everyone. I want yeah. like there's there's not a person who I've watched on that card at least, and I'm like I don't want to see any more of you. That's enough. Like even with like Tamina and Caitlin, like it it was clunky, but Tamina looked good. Caitlin looked good. I wish they'd have had better set of circumstances under which to operate. Mm. But I suppose as well, that's uh, the comparisons are made quite often on this show, aren't they? With yeah. NXT and some aspects of ECW and NXT and some aspects of the old territory days in, in, in the television shows that they used to wear. Mm-hmm. That's a very territorial wrestling thing for me. You wouldn't see every name on Georgia at Championship Wrestling every Saturday. It's the same as Mid-Atlantic, same as Mid-Safe, same as all these Houston wrestling, all these different territories. When you watch their TV show, you wouldn't see every guy you wanted to see. You may go three or four weeks before you see your favorite, and the only way to do it was to obviously buy a ticket going to the arena to go and see them. You know, or keep tuning in and hope that they're on on again soon. I, I feel that's a really similar kind of format that's working with NXT here as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because think of the people we didn't see. We didn't see Rollins. We didn't. We haven't seen Dallas. We haven't seen the Ascension, who no, were like true. a big deal for like two weeks. Um, Great debut so, yeah. last week, and it was a massive, massive deal. Been building up for weeks. No mention of him this week at all. Exactly, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's. Uh, a um a Jim Cornetism, but it's how can I miss you if you won't go away? Yeah, and so it leaves you wanting more of everyone. Um, and as you say, it is very much a territory thing. I think, I think right now you can look at NXT as much more of just a territory sort of a thing, as you say, like an old school mid south, anything like that. Um, I think it we've probably got to wait a few years for the ECW ness to come in, mm-hmm. but um, I'm sure. Let's say, stick around, we'll get there. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, where can everybody find you online, my friend? Joshua Goodwin PW on Twitter. Yes, indeed. Go and chuck Joshua a follow. Pick his brains about all things wrestling. All things wrestling. Uh, if you don't like the show, by all means, tweet him. Leave me alone. And, um... <laughs> oh, yeah, I, love, I love a good argument. Me, I'll, I'll back up any opinion that I have. unless And if I think that you can change my mind, I will. You might even get a shout out on the show. I'll be like, you change my opinion about something so come at there me there we go i also recommend on twitter the block button is my best friend mate <laughs> <laughs> any negativity bang 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 off you go uh you can follow me at sjp world media well that's the that's the tag for the actual network that we are on and you can find that on facebook and twitter but that's what kind of where i want people to go chuck a follow to now because that's where all the shows are coming out on um this show obviously nxt rising four chain wrestling nitro nights I, I list it all the time there's so many now i can't keep up but it's just so many great content creators creating great content and you can follow this show as well directly at nxt underscore rise and fall on twitter that's at nxt underscore rise and fall so yeah there we go that concludes another week looking back at the rise and fall of the black and gold i'm having a blast mate can't wait to do another may i Cannot wait. It's the highlight of my week.
There we go. There we go. Uh, and yeah, so that's it. I suppose we'll have another highlight of the week when I speak to you next week, Joshua. I we will. Bye, everyone. To everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Show me